Hi there, and welcome to The Sniff. I'm Nicola Thomas. Today on The Sniff, we're joined by a very special guest, an expert in language and translation. Marta Durosh was a finalist last year for the Fragrance Foundation's Jasmine Awards. Hi, Marta. Hi. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. So, Marta, you're an expert in language and translation, which our listeners might be wondering what that has to do with smell. Would you like to start by walking us through some of the previous work that you've done? Yeah, it's a good question, actually. I I think that it somehow happened that I managed to join two of my most niche interests into my even more niche interest, which has now turned out to be translating scent and looking at the language that surrounds scent. So my background is in English literature and my MA thesis was on the smell of spices in literature. And I specialised in travel literature, erotic literature and uh, religious literature because this is where I thought the smell of spices was was appearing most often as a metaphor. And so I also work as a literary translator. And when I came into the UK, I did year-long translation residency at a literature organisation in London called uh, Free Word. And just by complete chance, I found a book on a shelf in the Free Word building, which was a book by Philippe Claudel called Parfum, A Catalogue of Remembered Scents. And when I saw this book, it all came rushing back to me. You know, my MA thesis, the research I did during university, and I knew I had to read it. And after having read it, I just became so inspired that I organized an event at Freeword Center during my residency, which was called Translating Scent. I had uh, the translator of the book of Philippe Claudel's Parfum uh, there. His name is Ewan Cameron, and he is an incredible uh, translator from French into English. I had Pierre Long, who is the perfumer at All Fiction. And I had an academic called Ricarda Vidal, who does research into translation between media. So she organized a big project called Translation Games, in which she researched, for example, translation of a poem into a piece of ceramic, for example, of a translation of a poem into a dance piece. So we were discussing various aspects of writing about scent and translating scent. I also organized two events that had to do with scent in literature, uh, where we sort of explored the different aspects of working from scent into words, as writers do sometimes, or words into scent, as perfumers do sometimes. Uh, when they are working from a brief. So initially, I gave a keynote lecture at the British Perfumers Society annual conference about scent in literature. And then we had uh, a big event at the British Library, uh, which I co-organized with All Fiction and Pia and Nick Gilbert, and also two amazing perfumers, uh, Achille Riviello and Tim Gage, in which we translated bits of literature into scent. So we had this amazing opportunity to have a play around with words and scents. And we chose three excerpts of quite famous books. And the perfumers had to embody that description into an actual scent, which was fascinating. I don't think many people get to experience literature in that way.
but you yourself have done a lot of translation between different languages yeah and then also the translation of scent into prose yeah for the piece you wrote for the jasmine awards last year mm. how do you think those two different skills or disciplines mm. uh, you know how do they complement each other or are they completely different i think there is a similarity there I really like the word vocabulary. And I think that we do have, you know, with translating uh, one language into another language and translating words into scent or scent into words, you go from one set of data and you have to carry it over to another set of data so that everything is different, but nothing changes. So that seems like an impossible task, but I think both literary translation and creating sense or writing about sense uh, uses quite a similar mechanism. So we choose from a pool of words or descriptors or images that we want to evoke. And we just carry that over uh, using our own interpretation, using our own experiences, using our knowledge, our practice. We carry that over to another language, another set of vocabulary, whether it is words and phrases in a different language or whether it is scent accords. Mm. So I think there is an affinity there. Is it then easier to describe a scent or translate a piece of prose for you personally? I think they are so different. They engage different parts of my brain and my body. I think it would be difficult to say which one is easier. I think maybe translation is a little bit easier because I do more of it. Writing about scent is something that I actually find quite difficult. It's a bit of, it's more of a puzzle. Because I'm bilingual, I have quite a large vocabulary, both in Polish and in English. So it's, I think, a bit easier for me to move between those two languages than it is between the scent vocabulary and and what, what I sense, what I smell. So I think you have to have quite a v- wide vocabulary when it comes to sense to be able to describe what you smell, don't you find? I mean, it's, you know, it's very easy to come up with descriptions like gentle or sweet or harsh, you know, things like that. But I think if you want to describe it in a way that's evocative, you have to be able to use language that is going to mean something to the person who's reading it. So I think that's quite hard, finding that balance between a very subjective uh, reception of the smell and translating it, as it were, into a language that's going to not only describe what I smell, but it's also going to enable the person who's reading the text into imagining the smell, which I think is very difficult. Yes, absolutely. No, I I agree with that. It is very difficult. And, you know, like you, it's one of the reasons that I write about smell Mm. is that I find it difficult and and that's what makes it interesting. Exactly. If it was was super easy, then I think I would have got bored by now. Exactly. (laughs) And I think you can see that by the, you know, just like if you have a text in French, for example, and you ask 10 people to translate it into English, you will get 10 different translations. And it's exactly the same with writing about perfume. I think each of us, we all have our own ways of receiving smell. That's one thing. The other thing is that we all have different cultural references. We all Mm -hmm. have our own associations, our own memories. And we also choose different artistic forms when it then comes to writing about scent. So even, for example, if you are like me and you follow however many people who write about scent on Instagram, even though Instagram is a very visual medium, 
people do a lot of very interesting writing on scent on Instagram. It's so fascinating to see how differently people approach that. You know, there are people who come out with those really quite well-rounded perfume reviewing little bits. And there are people who have, for example, a very specific lens that they look at sense through. So for example, I follow someone who is very into LGBT theory. So their reading of sense is always quite queer. So they have a very specific set of references and it's fascinating to see how they receive sense and how they describe them. And people sometimes go completely off piste. People associate sense, you know, with this sort of almost automatic writing, you know, stream of consciousness of whatever comes into your head when you smell a specific scent. And I find that fascinating. The richness of of the writing that is out there is one mm-hmm. of the reasons what you know. One of the uh, reason why I keep coming back and keep reading those various descriptions because there's just so much out there. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get a little bit more. Let's get down to the the nuts and bolts yeah. of it. Reading scent with your lens, your set of experiences and values and everything, does good perfume have a narrative structure, do you think? Ah, that's interesting. I don't think it necessarily needs to, but I find myself very, very intrigued whenever it does. I remember the first time I understood that, when that perfume can do this, was a few years ago I, um, I went on a smelling trip to Les Centeurs in London with a friend of mine. And we we smelled a perfume, which was absolutely the smell of a very sunny Mediterranean piazza with an old church and with, you know, the sort of uh, sun-heated stone and various succulents and a little bit of uh, maybe a little tree or two, which was then soaked by rain. And the, the, the mere idea that it can tell me that story of, uh, you know, an Italian, a little Italian city in which there was this deluge of rain suddenly. That was so eye-opening. And it was incredible to feel that a perfume can tell a story and that a perfume can not only show me an image, but also make me feel like I am part of that image and that I am experiencing Mm. the story that the perfume chooses to, to tell. I don't think I necessarily look for a story in perfume. I think I just go along with it it's always a nice bonus if if I do feel like, yes, it is telling me a story. I recently had an experience with what could be called actually a translation. So it's a perfume called Wicked John. It's an interpretation of a character from, of the title character from the John Wick films. And I found it quite interesting because I felt like the perfume was following the story of what happens to the character in the film. I'm not sure if I can... Uh, if I can spoil it a little, but from quite a withdrawn and laid back middle, it then, the dry down is actually quite dark and quite cold. Uh, So I felt like that sort of transition from something that was actually quite wearable and quite approachable to something a little bit darker and a little bit more reminiscent of some sort of a dark basement that reflected the story of the character quite well and that that was I felt very nifty and that was very well done yeah so yeah that's the sort of story that emerges quite unexpectedly I feel but I am all for 
you know, the ride that the perfume takes me on. Given your bilingualness and your experience, you know, immersive experience in two very, well, similar or different cultures, Polish and English, how do you feel culture, uh, the culture of scent is represented differently in those two cultures? Or is it, this, you know, scent the same, you know, is it a lingua franca? Is it the same the world over? Oh, I don't think it is. I think there's definitely so much to build on from culture-specific experiences when it comes to scent and it, when it comes to constructing your scent vocabulary and your scent sort of the scent dictionary that you have in your head. I just think that so much adds to it. There is, you know, there is the regional food that you have. There is the nature that's going to be different from place to place. There are different ways in which you celebrate holidays. There are the various environments that you find yourself in, all of that adds to your way of experiencing scent and the things that you look for and also the things that you find in perfume or in scents. Having said that though, scent is chemistry and there are things that are similar on a molecular level. And I think that it does happen sometimes that, you know, a similar chemical structure between two aroma chemicals is going to lead to similar associations so I think it's a weird blend of very culture specific and very memory specific and universal which again I think sort of matches into literary translation because we as translators we do choose from our own dictionaries the words that we've grown up with the words that we've picked up from our favorite books the films that we've loved, the the songs that we know by heart, but we also have to stay within the the structures of the language. There is a specific pool of words that we can choose from when translating, but the specific word that we choose is all you know always down to who we are as a person, and I think that is quite similar with perfume as well. Um, mm. I think it's a very interesting question whether there is uh, there are things that are absolute and common to everyone in terms of receiving or interpreting scent or whether it is completely completely personal. I, I believe it's a mixture of the two. And I think what you were saying there about, say, for example, regional food being one of the things that colours your experience of how you receive, say, spices, which is, again, part of your MA research, isn't it, about the use of spice? And because I grew up in Yorkshire mm-hmm. and my grandma would use a lot of ginger in her cooking, mm-hmm. so she would make parkin which is a regional cake in Yorkshire. It's sort of like a spongy, treacly cake that is full of ginger. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, every time I smell ginger, it reminds me of parking. And that is this, this, the thing that I go to straight away. I'm thinking about somebody growing up in Italy would perhaps have had a different set of things like that that are really anchored in their memory. And, and you and your childhood, you, you would have had, different things and I like I really like this idea that food and the things that you experience you then bring them to perfume later on as you grow and develop and you have this set of references locked in your mind but then you bring that to the perfume Mm, absolutely Um, 
I find that really fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, as you say, it is throughout our life, we create our own language to speak about, to speak about sense and everything that surrounds us, all of our memories that we have adds up to that language. I think that's what's great about just exposing yourself to as great a richness of olfactory stimuli as you can, because it builds that vocabulary and you can then recognize and expand, as I say, the, the perfume vocabulary that you have, which is, which is, I think, just really great. There is nothing, there is nothing that is more exciting to me than recognizing something, from example, from, from any of my travels, then being able to connect that and to name that, to give a name to, uh, to a note, for example, that I, that I later uh, smell in a perfume. I just think it's something so exhilarating. It feels like the experience I've had unlock, you know, a, a next level of, of knowledge but you're right in the way that there are going to be things that because they were new to us when we were children, because they were they are connected with uh, with a time in our life which was particularly emotionally affecting us, those things are going to be our own and they are going to be our key references to what we probably look for in scent, but also what we find in scent. I think maybe there is something to it that you keep coming back to similar notes because they just have a particular resonance for you. Mm -hmm. Just as maybe you keep returning to the same kind of texts and the same kind of books because they just they just work for you. Mm, yeah. With your translating hat on, mm -hmm. Are there any words for specific sense, say in Polish, that don't have a direct translation in English? Oh, God, that's such a good question. And obviously I can't think of, <laughs> of, a, <laughs> of, a, of an example off the top of my head. Um, one thing, though, I mean, on the one hand, I'm sure there, is, there are words that are unique. But also, even if there aren't, I feel like the, you know, coming back to the previous question, the references I would have even for words that do exist in both languages, probably are going to be a little bit different. So mm. when you think of the word tart, for example, the word for tart is czerpki in Polish. And I can bet you that the references that you have in your language vocabulary for that word are just going to be different to mine. Yeah. Because, because even though we might say that you know, the Polish English dictionary tells us it's the same word in those two di different languages. The culture that surrounds it and the experiences that have surrounded it, you know, all our lives are just going to be ever so slightly different. So mm. I think, you know, it could be lemon tart for you and it can be, you know, freshly picked gooseberries for me. Yeah. Um, so I think we can, as with literature, we can approximate we can try and make those two texts as equivalent to each other as possible and we can look at two sensual descriptors and consider them as close as possible but they're never going to be because it's always going to be filtered by two different sensitivities and two different minds and two different sets of experience which i think is fascinating that we still continue you know we still attempt to to translate even though we know it might be a, a difficult exercise 
And it might be difficult to translate uh, a client's brief into a perfume or then to translate a perfume to a perfume review. We keep trying. And I think that's wonderful because we assume that even though those small differences between us do exist, there are going to be moments of recognition and there are going to be moments of finding yourself in a text or in a perfume that someone else has produced, even though they are a different mm. person, we can still experience the same things or be touched yeah. by the same experience. Yeah. And for me, that moment of unification of thought mm -hmm. is incredibly beautiful. Like when I get what the perfumer was trying to say, something magical happens. You know, like you say, it, it is... That is why we persist and it is why we continue in this translation medium, I, I suppose, is that the moment that I understand what the perfumer has, has wanted to convey and to communicate mm -hmm. and this is happening across time, across geography, across culture, it's really quite special. I had the pleasure of meeting Angela Champagne in Milan Mm -hmm. and we just had this moment where she said to me I really like to read your writing because you understand what I'm trying to say and I'm like I really like to smell your perfume because I feel like you understand part of me in, in producing it I feel like part of me that you've understood mm. <laughs> and it, it was a really profound experience for me was having this mutual understanding even though I don't speak great Italian and she speaks very good English but she's not a native speaker and so language in a way divides us but centered united us and mm. I just thought that was really really cool and really it really touched me and left a real impression on me that's amazing I think this is that sort of the highest value of art in general whether yeah. it be you know literature or perfumery that understanding understood by someone who hasn't been through the same thing as have I think that's you know, is the gift that anyone who engages in art can give to anyone encountering the art. With interpretation, obviously, as I say, comes culture. With culture comes prejudice. So I think it's also important to be conscious of the, of the biases that we have and to be conscious about the, you know, uh, conscious of the language that we use to talk about scents. I mean, when I started, when I started out writing my MA thesis, the one about scent of spices in literature, I think it was only because I was seduced by the, by the various instances of the scent descriptions in literature that I, that I encountered. So selfishly, I just wanted to spend a bit more time with, with that sort of literature and with that sort of language. But as I went on with my research, it just turned out that a lot of the scent descriptions focusing on spices were used in extremely racist context in Western literature. You know, you would have that signal that, for example, someone is approaching a quote-unquote exotic island and it would smell of, you know, you could smell it before you could see it. The smell of cinnamon or whatever it is would waft over to the, to the ship of the explorer, for example. And we have to remember that this comes at a time when places like the so-called Spice Islands were just heavily exploited. And it's obviously not only about islands themselves, but also about the people who lived in, in those areas. So I think 
as I went on, I grew slightly disillusioned with the whole thing because it just turned out that mm. the essence that we speak of can become a tool for oppression and can be a tool for reducing the lands and the people who provide you with this exalted, wonderful uh, smelling substance. You use that substance as well to convince yourselves that they are lower on the hierarchy of human evolution than you are. And so you can exploit them. So I think, I know that there was recently a discussion online about the term oriental as a descriptor of, of a specific group of, of sense. And I think that's very interesting. And I think it's extremely important to have those conversations because, as I say, in, because so much of our reception of scent is cultural, the, the concepts within culture change all the time. And the, the language that we use needs to be examined and it needs to be rethought as we continue to learn and as we continue to have those discussions. And there are just things that we have to be aware of when it comes to the origin of certain materials or whether it comes to the ways we speak about scent. Absolutely. My final question then is, what are you wearing at the minute? What's your favourite perfume this week ah okay so i've got three things right here on my desk which i've been trying recently which are quite interesting so one of them is the pierre guillaume um limanakia which i ordered because i'm quite interested in the sort of wet stone smell and wet stone accord i'm sort of exploring that a little bit i've got poudre de riz by pierre guillaume the blood collection which I ordered because I'm, I was interested in rice and the sort of rice milk combination. I haven't found a lot of it there, to be honest, I have to say, but I will keep trying. And I think, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm regressing in my old age, but I have to say that milk is my recent slight obsession. I think it's so difficult yeah. to do well in, in perfume, but I think when it's done well, it's, it's so lovely. I think when it comes to milky perfumes, one of my absolute favorites is the uh, Serge Luton uh, Jeux de Peau, which to me always smells like this milky, very milky latte coffee with, uh, with a little freshly baked croissant right next to it. And I think the milk obsession started with, with Jeux de Peau. So I'm on the lookout for a good milky perfume. Yeah. If our listeners have got any recommendations, please do <laughs> yes. get in touch because I also love it's really interesting what you said there. I love wet stone yes. and I love milky perfumes. Yes, interesting. So, but if you haven't tried it, Canat by Angela Champagne has mm. got a beautiful wet stone tunnel accord. Mm. It, it's, I think it's meant to be about the tunnels under the city. I think that's the right one. Mm. And it's got this real, yeah, wet stone vibe that I love. It's really cool. That sounds lovely. Um, and if I can recommend a milky perfume as well, one of my Please. absolute favorites is Remember Me by Javoy. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful, it's isn't it? Yeah, I know that one. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm not sure <laughs> if I can afford a full bottle, but I yeah, love that one. Absolutely. Yeah, me too. Perfect for autumn, I think. Yeah. Just when you want to feel cozy and yeah. snuggly warm, yes. it's lovely. Exactly. Yeah. Do you want to plug any of your social media handles? Yeah. Um, so if you if you would like to continue the conversation, and if you think that there is something to be said about similarities or differences between literary translation and 
translating the elusive sense of smell into words. Uh, I can be found on Twitter. Uh, it's just my name and surname, Marta Jurosh. And I am on Instagram as b.coldwine. My Instagram is private, but if you look nice, I will absolutely accept you. So, um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm always on the lookout for thoughtful people who like smelling things. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Marta, for joining us today. It's been an absolutely fascinating discussion. And like I say, listeners, get in touch if you want to continue the debate further. Please do. Thank you so much for having me, Nicola. It was a pleasure. What fragrance do you use most often and why? Uh, CK1, um, because it just makes me really happy. I have a perfume called Clean Cotton, which I like because I like the smell of freshness. Is one that comes back to me a lot. Is feeling fresh and clean. Harato by Bacard <laughs> because it was recommended to me by a friend because I like fruity floral floral fragrances and it was really cheap. And it's um, yeah, I wear that the most often. In fact, I've got a more expensive one which was also recommended by my friend, but. Um, it just doesn't last as long and but this this um other one um it lasts all day so it's a really that's a really good one so with my perfumes i've had some that are for sort of daily use and then some special ones so i was having the brocard princess as my daily one because it's quite a reasonable price and it's not too um, glamorous but it smells really good but I've run out of that now so now I've moved on to my posh one so my wedding one which is a Nicholas Oskol and then my um, Bois Naufrage which is my honeymoon smell which has now become my daily my daily perfume until I buy some more that's pure azure because I really like it it's a really um, warm strong smell it's like a power perfume is written and produced by me, Nicola Thomas, with music by Phil Collingwood. Today's guest was Marta Durosh. You can find all our reviews online at the-sniff.com. We're also on Instagram, at the Sniff website, and Twitter with the same handle. Thanks very much for listening.